Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We are located in Collinsville, Virginia. We are glad you joined us today. If you head over to our webpage, you can find more ways to serve, more sermons like this, as well as opportunities to support this ministry through giving. We pray God's blessing on the hearing and the doing of God's Word. Amen. Let us pray together. Open our hearts and our minds, O God. Illumine us to the work of your Spirit in our midst. May we be attentive once again this week to the ways in which you encounter us through your word. May we hear you. May we see you. May we receive you this day. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able in honor of our gospel lesson. Our gospel lesson today comes from St. John's Gospel, the 15th chapter beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers, for such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Friends, this is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I would invite you to pray with me and for me. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Place the cross before me, let none see me but you and your grace alone. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So just like last week, We once again encounter Jesus utilizing agrarian language to teach us a lesson 
concerning himself to his disciples. Last week, if you remember, the language Jesus utilized concerned a shepherd's care over the sheep. Jesus spoke how this shepherd would go to great lengths, far greater lengths than the hired hands to ensure the safety of the shepherd's sheep. Even if it meant laying down their life for them. We spoke about how we, contrary to our popular belief, are not the good shepherd. And how in God's story we are always the sheep. Likewise, today we are reminded that Jesus is the true vine. And we are nothing more than the branches. It's a different analogy, but it's the same implication. We are not, as much as we would like to be, the source of life. We are the recipients. Now, I want to start today by telling you a story from when I was younger. I remember when I was younger, I would watch my mother as she would work in her flower garden. She would lean over to her flowers as they first started to grow and taking her hands to the buds that were soon to blossom, she would quickly and effortlessly decapitate them. I remember most vividly the roses. We would wait for these roses to come in all year and just when you thought it was time, here comes my mother in her strong flower-killing hands to ruin all of our hopes and dreams as she popped the buds and the stems. Sometimes my mother looked like she was really going crazy. Instead of using her hands, she would go down to my father's shed, and I would watch her pull out these shears, and she lopped off whole branches. My job was to gather these branches into a pile and drag them down into the woods, never to be seen or heard from again. I don't know how she did it, but now I was her accomplice in crime. At first, as I watched her do this, I had no clue what she was doing. If I was tall enough to reach the corded phone, yes, I'm old enough to remember that, I would have called 911 to report her for assault and battery to the roses in our yard. And yet, as time went on, I noticed these poor little rose bushes. They started to look healthier, brighter. And fuller, after a little pruning of the good and a lot of removing of the bad. You see, my mother wasn't trying to kill her roses. She was just doing what was necessary to ensure health for the whole vine. Nobody had a say in what was going to be pruned, for that was the role of the gardener, my mother. The branches only need to know one thing, and that is that the gardener would always work to ensure the best for the vine. The gardener's job was to garden, to pluck, to pick, to probe the vine so that it produces its fruit. The vine's job was to nourish the branches 
by drawing upon its deep well of resources and sending those nutrient-rich resources out to the branches. Now, the branch's job was the easiest. Just stay attached. And we all know this to be true. We've recently experienced this in our own neck of the woods from all of the wind that we've had. If you've been like me, you've had to go out or you've had to hire someone to go out to gather up all of these branches, branches that seem to be deprived of nutrients off the ground of your yard and either burn them or drag them off into the woods because they were no longer capable of bearing life. But friends, I'm convinced that Jesus doesn't want us to dwell too long on the metaphor of branches and vines. For after all, the message is not the metaphor, but what the metaphor points us to. Jesus wanted his disciples to learn an important truth, a truth that we too would do well to hold on to. In this section that we're reading from today, it's known as the farewell discourse. In John's Gospel, it covers chapters 14 through 17. Now, most of us are familiar with Jesus' statements before his arrest and his trial and sentencing to death in the other Gospels, Mark and Matthew and Luke, as it relates to the Last Supper. But in John's Gospel, John spends a tremendous amount of time teaching his disciples about what is to come. In fact, John's gospel doesn't give us that other language of a last supper. Jesus is in an upper room teaching them about what is to occur. And while he's there in that upper room, Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to be going away. That his earthly ministry is soon to be coming to an end and that he will be returning to the Father. When we understand this in at least two ways, we understand that he's saying, I'm getting ready to go to the cross. I'm going to experience the crucifixion. Literally, I am going to be going away. But also, we understand it in a second sense because we are on the post side of Easter. We understand it as he's also talking about his ascension. He is going to be going away back to the Father. Now, I can only imagine how disheartening this would be to Jesus' followers. Now, imagine this. These people have left their livelihoods. Now, I know that most of us, for the sake of following Christ, haven't had to do that. We haven't had to say, well, I'm going to leave whatever my job is, and I'm going to go follow Jesus. But this is what those disciples had to do. They, they formed a radical form of discipleship. I want you to leave everything that you've done, and I want you to go this new path. They abandoned their families. They had been ostracized by those that they had once regarded as friends, all for the sake of following the strange man from Nazareth named Jesus. And now, I'm certain they're thinking, now, after we've done all of that, you have the audacity to stand here in this upper room and to tell us that you're going away? We've left everything. We have nothing else to hold on to. And you're leaving us. Certainly at this news, they would do like any friends would do. They would do everything in their power to prevent it. 
What on earth are you talking about, Jesus? Nobody's going to take you anywhere. We will fight for you. We will protect you. We will make sure that none of these things happen to you. But how does Jesus respond to their request? He responds very simply. Friends, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, then surely I will come again, and I will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you will be also. What a profound message of hope to people that are terrified that Jesus is leaving. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare that place, that means I'm coming back. Now, any good disciple would say, that's all I needed to know. But that's not who we are. We, like the other disciples, in hearing that good news, say this. Okay, then show us the Father and we're going to be satisfied. Give us some more proof that you're leaving and coming back. Show us the Father and we'll be satisfied for this. Then we'll believe that you go and prepare a place for us. Show us the Father, Jesus. Now they've been with Jesus for three years and yet they still do not see him for who he is. Jesus recognizes it. And he, and he sadly asked Philip, the one who lifted such a request, Philip, have I not been with you all of this time and you still don't know who I am? If you've seen me, then you have seen the Father. Don't you get it, Philip? I have been with you this entire time showing you the way to the Father. I have done nothing of my own accord, but everything that I have done, I have done it in line with who God is. I have modeled for you God. I have demonstrated for you the very heart of God. I have loved on you like God. I have cared for you like God. I have nurtured you like God. And yet you still do not get who I am? I am here telling you that I am going away, but I am coming back for you. So do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. I am not leaving you. I am not forsaking you. And as a way to prove that to you, listen to me. If you ask of me anything in my name, I will grant it for you. And in doing so, God will be glorified by it. You see, over and over and over again in these last chapters, 14 through 17, we find that Jesus is simply trying to do one thing, persuade his followers to see that even though he is not here in the manner that they are used to, that is to say, in the flesh, he is always here in a way that is not lacking or devoid from any real presence they had grown accustomed to seeing. Just because I'm not here like you've seen me before does not mean I'm not here in the exact same way. 
And as a last-ditch effort to convince them of this great truth, Jesus brings out the analogy of the vine and the branches. And with a phrase that John uses 42 times throughout his gospel, 12 times in this section alone, he gives his disciples the key by which they will be able to go forward with Christ bearing the fruit of the kingdom. And that word is meno, M-E-N-O. And it's oftentimes translated as abide. If you want to know how to go forward bearing fruit with me, then abide with me as if I am with you. Now this is something that we should be able to do with great ease, to abide. Sometimes we think about that as to mean something like to stay put. Our culture is very good in staying put. Our culture is very good and we would think that something like to to abide would be relatively easy and, and passive. So much so that we think that it means to sit down and really to do nothing at all. And yet this is precisely the understanding of abiding that is leading so many Christians into unfruitful, unhappy, unfulfilling lives in Christ. We think that to be a part of Christ means to abide. It means to sit on our butts and do nothing. What are you doing today? I'm I'm abiding. I'm abiding very well. What have you done? I haven't done anything. Christ told me to abide. I'm just sitting here. You see, John Wesley, in his explanatory notes on the New Testament, he sees Christ's call to abide in him as far from anything passive. He says to abide in Christ is to be in an attitude of living faith. He says to abide in Christ is to be in an attitude of living faith and not, as some would say, he says, church communion or church attendance. Think about that. To abide in Christ, John Wesley says, is an attitude of living faith, not to be confused with those who say that to abide in Christ is to be in church communion or church attendance. Now, is he going so far as to say that church attendance doesn't matter? Not at all. But when he says this, he has a particular group of people in mind. These people are called the antinomians. Antinomians. Anti, and then nomian means work. So no work, right? These are people that abide in the passive way. These are people that just come to church and they sit there and they wait for God to do something. And what John Wesley says is if that's what you think abiding is, then you've missed it. For abiding is living. Moving, breathing. So what we know from the example of my mother is that the gardener is the one who is the most active. The gardener, all of us, mind you, are being pruned. Some more than others, but we really don't have a say in what gets cut on. Some things just get cut. And the vine, we talked about, the vine's job is to is to suck up those nutrients from that deep well and to distribute those out to the branches. And the branch's job in abiding is literally 
to actively have faith to just hang on. To just hang on. I'm the youngest of all of my cousins on my dad's side of the family. All of them are much older than I am, like 10 to 15 years older. And I remember so vividly, my sister and I would always get picked on by them when every time we would go to their house. So if my mom would st- or my dad was to give us a candy bar or something, it was when we went there, we know we were getting shaked down like we were in the lunchroom. They would do all kinds of things to us. They would lock us in closets and not let us out until we gave them our candy bar. And I remember so vividly, they used to, uh, where my aunt used to live, there was this fence, and on the other side of the fence, it's almost like the sandlot, there was a big dog. And, and she would, and, these, and my cousins would take my sister and I, and they would pick us up, because, you know, we were like five, and they're like 15 and 18, right? They, they would pick us up, and they would dangle us over the fence, And the dog would jump and like bite at our feet. And I remember so vividly hanging on that fence as a young person and my sister saying to me, as well, sister should, Cameron, just hang on. Sometimes in life, that's exactly what it's like. Sometimes in life, we find ourselves in moments that are dark and dreary. And and the living faith is not to say, well, let's just come down and sit down and do nothing. A living faith says, no, now is the time we hang on. All of us have moments in our lives that are not great, that are not satisfying, that are not the times that we want them to be. But Jesus says, listen, I'm trying to tell you I'm not going anywhere. And if you really want to experience and you want to bear fruit, then all you need to do is to trust me And hang on. So friends, that's my prayer for all of us today. That whatever it is that you're experiencing in your own life, may you abide, may you just hang on to the branch that gives us all life. I offer to you this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.